Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, assurances from India's Prime Minister that his country will do its best to send vaccines to Canada. Not a good look for Canada. And neither, I think, from Trudeau's point of view, was having to go cap in hand to Narendra Modi, the Indian Prime Minister, yesterday. The Prime Minister announces billions in transit projects. So to help restart the economy and create strong middle-class jobs, all while fighting climate change, I can announce today that we're investing almost $15 billion for new public transit projects over the next eight years. And Mike Duffy finds out today if he will get a final day in court in his lawsuit against the Senate. The Supreme Court of Canada will announce whether or not it will give leave to appeal to Mike Duffy. If it doesn't, his court case is dead and his fight with the Senate of Canada is over. It's Thursday, February the 11th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by National Post columnist John Iveson. John, thank you for being with us. Morning, Mark. So let's start by talking about vaccines. Uh, Canada has reached out to India to get some help with vaccinations uh, and supply of vaccines to our country. Um, Let's talk about what that means. It appears the government to get vaccines into the arms of Canadians. Yeah, I think there's a huge amount of frustration out there about the... uh the amount of vaccines that are that are coming into Canada. Um, you know, we're obviously seeing overseas, other countries, as as vaccines come online and, and we're not getting them. The two vaccines that we have approved uh, have not been supplied in the, the numbers that, that we were hoping. Um, you know, having to raid the correct stock of vaccines, which Canada contributed to, but ostensibly with a view to Supplying developing countries, not to taking uh, taking vaccine supply ourselves. Although anybody who looks at the contract, it is stipulated that, that Canada can access uh, that supply of vaccine, but not a good look for Canada. And neither, I think, from Trudeau's point of view, was having to go cap in hand to Narendra Modi, the Indian Prime Minister, yesterday. Trudeau was asked this yesterday morning. Had he uh, spoken to, to Modi, he, he fudged the question. And then Modi put out a statement a couple of hours later saying that Trudeau had called him. And the reason for the call is um, is that Canada has signed on to get 20 million doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine, which is going to be produced under licence by Serum Institute of India. You know, as we've seen, politics is playing a, a large part in vaccine supply. I think normal products, you sign contract with the producer, the product arrives. In the world of vaccines, there's a lot of political influence, as we saw with the EU, where there was a fear that the EU would uh, curb exports by Pfizer, both of which are produced in Europe, to Canada, because those countries are also supplying vaccine to European countries. And the idea, well, well, why should we be sending vaccine overseas when our when our own countries need it? Equally, there was a fear, I guess, that, uh, that uh, Modi might block exports from India to Canada and hence Trudeau's phone call. You know, these two men have not had a great relationship dating back to his visit to India and uh, recent criticism that Trudeau made of India's treatment of farm protests in that country. Very pleasant phone call, probably why he didn't admit to it. And Modi's response is that he'll do his best. Now, the Serum Institute's chief executive has said that he is not intending to export to developing countries for the first six months of production. 
So whether we start seeing that AstraZeneca vaccine flowing once it's been approved by Health Canada, which it hasn't been yet, I spoke to a, a cabinet minister who said it's very close. This is a very convoluted process. It's not like commercial transactions. That vaccine has got to be approved, and then we've got to hope that it's produced, released, as it will be. How do you think this looks to Canadians, John, given that they're, uh, uh, you know, we're, we've already taken vaccines from the COVAX program, uh, which we were technically allowed to do, but I know there are Canadians who say, well, that's that's not a good look to be tapping into a program that's meant to help developing countries. Now we're reaching out to India. Uh, the, we're still not producing vaccines in Canada until much later this year. Uh, do you think that matters to Canadians or is it really just about let's just get vaccines wherever we can get them? Well, I think initially there is a sort of feeling that government is not making things happen. I mean, there's a huge amount of frustration out there. I think that, you know, we've got rapid tests sitting in boxes and warehouses all across the country. You know, that vaccines, that there's a shortfall of vaccines. I think that there's just a sense that people want government to work and it doesn't seem to be working right now. I mean, that that feeling of uh, why can't we do things anymore and other countries seem to be able to make them make them happen. That's the overriding sense. And I think the the major failure of this government in the, uh, you know, let's talk about, let's remove the fiscal matters from the equation. I mean, it may be that we, we've completely overspent and, and sent the country into a, a, a fiscal tailspin. But, but uh, let's take that away from the equation. When it comes to the operational level of fighting the, uh, the virus, I think the, the domestic production issue was a major failure. The whole story there about why we were doing a deal with the Chinese when our when the geopolitical relationship was so fraught. I mean, I think anybody who spent five knew that it would be geopolitical issues. You know, that's what the whole call to Modi is about. That's what the issue with the EU is about. That's why Canada is going to have to be very careful with with the Biden administration when it comes to vaccine release. And we must have known that doing a joint production deal with the Chinese, politics was going to get involved somewhere. And it did. I mean, the, the, the Chinese government blocked release of that vaccine to Canada and left us high and dry and, and, and clearly too late to find another partner to take that manufacturing capacity. So I do think that it's not a it's not a non-issue. It will be an issue at some point. But, but I think first and foremost, people want to see the vaccine flow. All right, let's talk about some other developments. Uh, Aaron O'Toole, the Conservative leader, shuffled his shadow cabinet yesterday, and perhaps the most noteworthy uh, move was the fact that Pierre Poilievre is no longer the finance critic. He was a high-profile MP, popular among the Conservative base, and an often effective uh, uh, attacker of, of the government's fiscal policies and, and approach. Uh, what do you think was behind that move? Well, I'm not sure what was behind it, but I know that the Conservative base is not happy. I mean, I've seen a lot of people, spoken to people who say, you know, this guy is our best performer in the House of Commons. The finance portfolio is the key portfolio. How could we possibly move him? Um, you know, one explanation being put out there is that he sucks up all the oxygen in the room at a time when Aaron O'Toole needs to reintroduce himself to Canadians. That may be part of it. It may be that O'Toole wants to start talking about how to re-engineer the, the economy coming out of uh, the pandemic and, and key to that is jobs and industry, which is the portfolio that, uh, that Poiliev has been handed. Nonetheless, I think he could have done that in the finance role and I don't think it's a good look. I think it, it does 
it, you know, I think O'Toole wants to move his party to the centre. He wants to be, be seen as more of a centrist party, a more welcoming party. And Polyev is a, a spiky character. He upsets people. The key among the people he upsets are the government's front bench. And I think that every party needs one of those characters, a kind of disturber who really just gets in amongst it and upsets the government. I mean, the, the, the opposition is meant to be there to hold the government to account, and that's what he's very effective at doing in the House of Commons. So any move to uh, to unsettle him or demote him is, would seem to be counterproductive. You know, I think that it, it is perfectly feasible for a government to be seen as more acceptable and more centrist and more moderate and still have those people in the party. All right, let's wrap up by talking about transit. The Prime Minister announced billions of dollars in transit funding, uh, but it's not going to take effect for a number of years. Uh, so what impact do you think this will have? Well, I think the eyes will glaze over for most people because it's, you know, again, it's a promise of spending billions of dollars way down the line. I and mean, we were talking 2026 20, before much of this money comes in. Um, the, the the annual $3 billion a year for public transit you know, and yet again, the government promises a million jobs. And the problem is really that uh, you know, infrastructure important. It is the greatest driver of economic growth after immigration. And studies suggest that if you spend the money well, you get a three dollars back for every dollar you spend. The, our problem is that we haven't been spending it well, at least not according to the Parliamentary Budget Office, which is a successive report making clear that the infrastructure money has not produce the results that the government has suggested it would when it announced the, uh, announced the, the spending plan. You know, spending has lag, lagged planning. Those projects have not come in as, as was forecast. I think, um, I think we spent 51 billion of the 188 million that in the Investing Canada plan between 2016 and 2020. So, you know, that's happened when we say it's going to happen. The job creation and economic growth has often been lower than expected. And sometimes we've seen increases in federal money being offset by decreases in provincial spending. And there was a study that suggested that the, in the first four years, the Investing in Canada plan raised GDP by just 0.74% and created 65,000 jobs. You know, that's nowhere near what the government said it was going to, the impact the government said it was going to have when it announced it. So I think, you know, it's great money's being spent on, on transit. I mean, I think that's a good long-term investment. The public actually believes what the government says is the impact is going to be. Mm. All right. John, I appreciate your insights on all of this today. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mark. That's John Iveson of the National Post. Our government has sent 19.6 million rapid tests to the provinces and territories with more on the way. We all want to see cases go down. We know that these tests can make a difference. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In an editorial, the Toronto Star calls on the provinces to stop foot-dragging on rapid tests for COVID-19. The Star writes, It's a confusing picture and a frustrating one. Some provinces say they're eager to use rapid tests. Others still aren't convinced they're really useful and have been dragging their heels. Common sense would suggest that rapid tests can play an important part in early screening for COVID in many settings. 
The worst outcome is for Ottawa to keep spending millions and millions of our tax dollars on acquiring and distributing test kits that don't get used, or get used too slowly to be effective. In McLean, Scott Gilmore argues it's time for the Prime Minister to go back to the office. Gilmore writes, This is the moment you need to be the most effective leader you can possibly be. And we all know, home is not the most effective place to work. You need to take advantage of all the resources available to you as Prime Minister. Most of these are not easily accessible as you work from Rideau Cottage. Go back to the office, where you can interact with your team more effectively. Zoom can only take you so far. You need to focus. You need to lead. And face-to-face is the best way to accomplish that. At Policy Options, Stephen Lewis considers what Canada can learn from Australia's COVID response. Lewis writes, Too many provinces played to their political bases and responded belatedly to emerging threats. They gave the virus a head start before they chased it in earnest. Australia's strategy is worth a look, not because the country is a paragon of extraordinary governance, but because it is not. You don't have to be perfect. You simply have to say what you mean, pay attention to science, and accept that while you may be vilified in some quarters, you invite catastrophe if you underestimate the strength of the virus. Now here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. Senator Mike Duffy will find out if he gets a final day in court in his lawsuit against the Senate, or if it's the end of the road for his $7.8 million suit. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more. Mark, today at 9.45 a.m., the Supreme Court of Canada will announce whether or not it will give leave to appeal to Mike Duffy. If it doesn't, his court case is dead and his fight with the Senate of Canada is over. More than three and a half years ago, Senator Duffy launched his lawsuit against the Senate, arguing that he had been unfairly treated by the upper chamber when he was suspended and his pay withheld for two years during the so-called Senate spending scandal of 2013 to 2015. Duffy was eventually cleared by the courts of all criminal charges, and so he countersued for damages, arguing that the Senate had abused its powers and violated his constitutional rights. In 2018, the Ontario Superior Court dismissed his lawsuit, saying that the Senate is protected by parliamentary privilege, meaning the courts cannot scrutinize or overturn its decisions. Last year, the Ontario Court of Appeal upheld that decision in a strongly worded ruling saying that parliamentary privilege is unwavering and it means the Senate is free to determine its own internal affairs and how it disciplines its measures. So Mark, we will see this morning if the Supreme Court closes the book on the Duffy saga or gives it a new lease on life. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will be joined by the Minister of Health, Patty Haidu, for a virtual roundtable discussion with healthcare professionals and advocates from across the country. This evening, he'll take part in a virtual celebration of the Lunar New Year. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole will speak at an event hosted by the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade. Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchet will hold a news conference in Ottawa. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will speak with members of the Canadian Association of Retired Persons at their annual general meeting. Green Party leader Annamie Paul will make an announcement on Facebook and Instagram. Employment Minister Carla Qualtro will announce funding to increase accessibility in the community of Hochelaga, Quebec. Diversity Minister Bartish Chagger and the Minister for Women, Mariam Monsef, will make a national announcement about the LGBTQ2 Community Capacity Fund. And Minister Monsef will also make a virtual announcement to support women who have been disproportionately impacted by the pandemic. 
Small Business Minister Mary Ng will virtually attend the opening session of the Tech NL Summit. She'll also take part in a fireside chat with Natural Resources Minister Seamus O'Regan. Innovation Minister François-Philippe Champagne and Environment Minister Jonathan Wilkinson will participate in a virtual event hosted by Sustainable Development Technology Canada. And Infrastructure Minister Catherine McKenna will attend an event in Bancroft, Ontario. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, February the 11th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.